Welcome to the Boozy Banter Podcast. I'm not certain how we are already in October, but a chill is in the air and we have lust for spirits in our hearts. In our continuing effort to surround ourselves with people much smarter than us, we welcome Ryan Maybe into the studio. Restaurateur, cocktail artist, modern whiskey baron, and all-around booze industry renaissance man. I'm hoping that he also responds well to flattery, because it's my go-to move during interviews, and the cocktails always taste better when they are made with a real smile. He's handsome, too. Welcome to Boozy Banter. (laughs) Bienvenue à Boozy Banter. Welcome to Boozy Banter, brought to you by Wine Styles, where Brian, Matt, and a cast of characters start out chatting about all things booze and end up in places and conversations completely unexpected. Settle in. Even their rabbit holes have tangents. Hey, Brian. Hey, Matt. Hey, Ryan. Hello. <laughs> welcome. Welcome to, uh, welcome to the craziness. It, just getting started and it just gets... And you can tell it's crazy by our monotone of voices. <laughs> you have, you have Do no I sound... Idea, you have no idea of the craziness I came from. Yeah. So, well, we're looking forward to hearing all about it tonight. So nice. might as well uh, just jump right in and, yeah, indeed. and talk, talk booze. Well, first off, you know, thanks for uh, making the time. I know you've got the event with our restaurant next door to do some uh, uh, cocktail riffs and our riff series. Uh, and coming over, I mean, how could you, you know, decline an invitation with people like us exactly there are literally tens of listeners that have been clamoring for you to be (laughs) i think it was actually the it was the fat washing that that sealed the deal oh Oh, was it yeah Yeah. somebody mentioned fat washing i'm like i'm there (laughs) have you seen that before because that was like oh sure sure you have but i I thought it was was like he was playing with me or (laughs) something my brother my brother said he was gonna do not google fat washing no it's funny it's one of those like kind of like now sort of passe things that like everyone's like oh everyone fat washes but like ten years ago it was like ooh fat washing you know so, and it was like this mysterious you know magical process. <laughs> what the hell is it? Um, <clears throat> it's the infusion of certain fatty elements and ingredients into spirits um, done in a way that it doesn't it can impart flavor um, but not solid and not separate. Like if, there are some things if you try to infuse into booze. It's just not going to work out very well. It's going to be really gross and oily. Like if you want to put butter in a drink or if you want to put, you know, mm-hmm. pork belly in a drink or bacon, like if you just like infuse it in the booze, it's really gross. Okay. But if you figure out a way to infuse those flavors into it without changing the, you know, the physical texture of it, then that's, that's where the magic is. And that's what fat washing is essentially. He said something about either putting it in the refrigerator or freezer or something. Freezer, yeah. All of the, Typically, all of that's, the, the, that's the most common method of, okay. of doing, yeah. Yeah, they're doing one of those tomorrow, oh, which I think is going to be amazing. I mean, it's almost like uh, kind of like ice wine where it you know it separates you know some of the moisture out of it and then just pulls it apart. Not exactly, but... Kind of. Kind we'll of. go with that. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be the worst analogy I make tonight, I think. But <laughs> or the best. Or the best. Let's, it's early. Let's yeah. hope it's not the yeah. best yeah. analogy Yeah, it's going to be the something. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, if... Uh, uh, I guess, like when I mentioned in the opening, you know, you have a lot of hats that you wear. If you, you know, in your business card, what does it say? My business card. Yeah. Uh, my business card right now says, uh, uh, what does it say? Um, Vice President of Sales and Hospitality okay. of J. Rieger and Co. That's what it says today. Okay. Although my email signature is different. Than my card <laughs> for each email address right. you have. I'm sure, right? His real name is actually Bill. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even Ryan. 
it's an alias. Would yeah. you say that's most of what uh, takes up your your daily you know grind? I guess would be my daily Jay grind Rieger is, is Jay Rieger, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, I mean. Um, that's what I've been focused on now for, for several years and increasingly so every year as we've grown and become bigger and, you know, just trying to, to, to manage uh, our, our growth mm-hmm. overall and, uh, you know, utilize my experience and, and skills to wherever it's needed most in our company. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's what I do. And would you find that you know, managing, you know, a, a company like that, Traits that would come from you know opening your you know manifesto or Rieger you know like a restaurant or a, or a bar, um, building that brand is that kind of a similar fashion or is there things you know there involved? there's a lot of things that overlap. I mean mm-hmm. it's all booze right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's all hospitality at the end of the day. Like I, I talk a lot about that, a lot about how the 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 theory of hospitality and and what it means to provide hospitality mm-hmm. can cover so much more than just service. You know and you know, how you take care of your guests, it, it becomes a part of your overall mentality and how you grow your company and treat your employees and vendors and everybody associated. Um, but, you know, when it comes to building a brand and selling a product and distribution, wholesale distribution, all that, it's wildly different from being a bartender. And that's where I started. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how I, I started my career was as a bartender. Um, never could have predicted any of this stuff and there are there are certain you know things that overlap and and there are certain um lessons and skills that i developed over time that i can apply to what i do today but at the same time i'm still kind of learning as i go i think we all are i mean i'm i'm probably the oldest guy here and i'm still learning every day i mean i think you've got to continue doing that so kudos to you for that what an old company my goodness (laughs) 1887 1887 yeah wow um yeah, that's when Jay Rieger and Co. started. It was 1887, back in the wild, wild west of Kansas City. Wow. Boom, a boom town yeah. at the time. Wow, that was my class. <laughs> yeah, we usually a lot of coasters. That was my <laughs> bad. Yeah, nice job, <laughs> I got lots of bads you today. Got, uh, paper, uh, oh, yeah, no, napkins. That could work. But that being said, um, yeah, the as I was reading through, you know, doing a little research on Jay Rieger Company and, and even where it's based now in your restaurant and the um, – in the hotel, in the Rieger Hotel, mm-hmm. you know that region has a huge history of of hospitality in general. You know, like welcoming out of town people. And I've, one of the most fascinating things for me was the that it was right on the state line with uh, you know when Prohibition went into effect in Kansas, but not in uh, like twenty years earlier or something like that. Um, thirty eight. Thirty eight years. Uh, yeah. So Kansas City has a really really cool history when it comes to Prohibition and you know, how that, uh, you know, ultimately became national, but it started there. Um, Kansas, the state of Kansas was the first state to, to implement any um, uh, anti-alcohol laws, and that was in 1881. So the full state of Kansas went dry in 1881, which was 38 years prior to actual federal prohibition. Wow. But the irony is that the biggest city there was Kansas City, <laughs> and it literally overlapped the border between Kansas and Missouri. And so when the state of Kansas went dry... Everyone in the Kansas City area that was on the Kansas side said, well, we don't care, so we'll just go across the street. And, like, they literally just, like, flooded across the street, and there's a street there to this day that's just called State Line. And it's in the heart of the city, and it's State Line Road. And on one side is Missouri, and the other side is Kansas. And so when, the, when Kansas went dry, everyone just went across the street. And that whole area of the West Bottoms back then in the 1880s um, just exploded in uh, the West Bottoms of KC Mo with anything booze related. So 
saloons, casinos, brothels, and a distillery. And Jay Rieger and Company was the distillery mm-hmm. that popped up right during that era and that time period, and uh, you know became a national brand because of it. Well, it's yeah, it's cool that the state line road still is a divider for anybody that goes down to buy booze and it's still there. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, it's still state line. There's one yeah. that uh, I used to find uh, beers at that I couldn't find other places. It was literally a high V on one side, and then the little liquor shop right across the street because I could sell things there. You know what's could, really funny about yeah. that? So high V, obviously yeah. in Iowa, you yeah. know, is huge. And they have their liquor store connected mm-hmm. to all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the state of Kansas, to this day, you can't sell spirits in a grocery store. <laughs> but they didn't, as far as I know, not trying to like say any, like not trying to like say anything, you know, against High V because I love High V. But I think when they opened that store on State Line Road, mm-hmm. they didn't realize that on that side of the street oh, no. yep. they couldn't sell booze, <laughs> and so. They they were too far along in the project and figured, well, what are we going to do? And so they literally opened up the liquor store across the street in a separate <laughs> building. And I think that's the only example mm-hmm. of a store like that that mm-hmm. Hy-Vee has, where they have an independent, you know, freestanding liquor store. Because of that. Because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we joke in the industry because we sell wine and beer for a living and, and we franchise what we do. And it's, um, the United States is like 50 different countries. Because it really every, is. every single state, as you as you know, too, yeah. selling selling your product, it's every single state has a different, you know, change and twist and shoot in Chicago. You go to different uh, municipalities and, and and townships, and it's different. It, so, it really is. It's and, it's wild, and that's one of the things you know. I talk about how my, you know, I've I've had to continue to learn as I've you mm-hmm. know grown. Uh, we've grown our business and our company is learning liquor laws of every state. So as soon as you try to figure out, you figure out the way one thing works, and like, okay, this works, let's do this. Well, then in the state that borders it, it doesn't work, and you've got to start from scratch again. It's, yeah. it's wild. I mean, we're now distributed in 26 states, and that means 26 different laws. Exactly. State yeah. sets yep. of laws. Yep. You know, 26 different pricing strategies, and mm-hmm. it's, it's just crazy. Yep. Well, Jay Rieger didn't have that problem when he... Basically, had a catalog sent out to people for his booze. Dude, he could do any largest mail order whiskey house in the country. That's what we were, and what that meant was people from around the country. He could market in the Sears Roebuck catalog, you know, or in any newspaper in any city across the country. And all people had to do was mail us money, mail us cash, and then we would ship them booze and show up their front door. You can't do that anymore. Um, Two hundred and fifty thousand customers. There's yeah. even today in the twenty first century. We're in the twenty first century, I think right? So twenty in the twenty yeah. something century, there's businesses that would kill for two hundred and fifty thousand. customers. Yeah, I mean it was it was a huge huge business. <laughs> My email list. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty impressive. And some of the things they were selling too: stomach bitters. And then I'm fascinated oh. with the one that was just called alcohol. We had <laughs> sign me up so, for that. You guys got to come down to our uh, distillery and see the museum we built because we've got yeah. a lot of these artifacts yep. and these old uh, cell sheets and like flyers and advertisements. It's really amazing. But yeah, that's one of the funniest ones to me too. Is the bottle that's just labeled alcohol, and I don't even know what's in there. And you weren't even by law back then required to put on the bottle what no. the proof was or what the ABV yeah. was. It's just alcohol. Like you know, whatever you do with it. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, That's up to you. You drink it. And no judgment it here. Whatever. Yeah. Put it but your, it's, uh, it's alcohol. Put it into your engines. And yeah. <laughs> Amazing. 
So you, um, the, the company closed, right? Uh, and and after prohibition, prohibition think, shut right? down, shut yep. us down in nineteen nineteen. Yeah. And then what? What wild, crazy idea brought you to thinking about? Hey, we want to open this thing back up again. Um. Well, fast forward about ninety years, right? So prohibition shut us down in nineteen 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 twenty. Um, Alexander Rieger, who was the son of the founder at the time, um, he was operating the business and he had built the Rieger Hotel which opened in 1915. And so he also had the hotel, which was a part of the company. Um, he sold that hotel about a year after Prohibition started, uh, say like 1921, roughly. And uh, it changed names, and that history just vanished. Like, it, this is not, at least up until several years back, this was not like a well-known story in Kansas City. This is not something that... Everyone was like, oh, yeah, Jay Rieger and company. Like, it was completely gone, like long gone. Um, but fast forward 90 years, in 2009, um, I was a bartender who I had owned a wine bar um, that I opened in 2006 called JP Wine Bar and Coffee House. And I was still really into the cocktail thing. Like I, I, wanted to, I was inspired by a lot of the bars in New York. I was traveling to New York quite a bit and going to places like Milk and Honey and PDT and uh, uh, Pegu Club places like that, and I just, I had to bring that concept to Kansas City, and so I had this idea to open up this, like, kind of speakeasy-style craft cocktail lounge, and I found a, a, a location in this really cool old building in downtown Kansas City, right by the railroad tracks, right by Union Station, and uh, um, it was just perfect for uh, the bar that I wanted to open called Manifesto, so I sold my, my other company, my, my uh, wine bar, so my partners got out, and then I started Manifesto in the basement of this old uh, hotel building, which was built in 1915. Didn't know anything about it. And I had no idea what the building was or any history of it. Um, but about a year after I opened Manifesto, which was doing really, really well, it, was, it became really popular, um, I wanted to open up a restaurant on the first floor, like the old lobby sure. of the old hotel. And it hadn't been a, an operating hotel for decades. You know, it was just kind of a rundown old building. And so there was nothing, <clears throat> nothing on this floor. It was not being used for anything. There had been a restaurant okay. at one point, and then they shut down okay. as well. So there was a partially built-out kitchen. Okay. There was a really poorly built-out bar area. Mm-hmm. So I took over that first floor and uh, remodeled it and uh, opened up a restaurant called The Rieger. Because as I was looking into the history of the building, I realized that it was a pre- had previously been, originally, when it was first built, a hotel called the Rieger Hotel, and I'm like, well, that's really cool. found a couple old photographs, you know, and decided to name the restaurant after the old building because I felt like, you know, the building had a story to tell, mm-hmm. you know. And so we decided to call the restaurant the Rieger, and then upon further, as I kept digging and doing more research, discovered that this hotel building was owned by the Rieger family that also had a whiskey distillery dating back to 1887 called J. Rieger & Company. And that was the first time that I ever wow. even discovered that Jay Rieger whiskey even existed. I had no idea wow. otherwise. Well, and if you had no idea, I mean, no one else did either. No one else I mean, in Kansas City did. Right. I mean, it was it was old, long gone history. Wow. Yeah, that's so cool to bring that back. Yeah, and it's not like there'd still be someone you know alive that remembered it either. I mean, well, there only like, only you know, only one, at least one person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the guy that collected and, all that stuff. <laughs> well, him, and then also the great 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 yeah. grandson of the founder, who is uh, my business partner in bringing it back. So. Uh, Jacob Rieger, the J and J Rieger, who started back in 1887, his great 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 grandson is Andy, uh, Andy Rieger, and he had heard um, about my efforts to uh, start the restaurant and everything, and he came up and checked it out and introduced himself, and um, that was uh, 
shit, that was 11 years ago. Wow. Uh, 2010. <laughs> Christmas 2010, so almost 11 years ago. Wow. And he just came in. He was... Uh, he lived in. He didn't even live in Kansas City. He was living in Dallas, Texas, and he'd come up to KC for the holidays and wanted to see what we were doing. And now today we're partners, and we've resurrected his family's uh, his legacy distillery. That's an incredible endeavor. <laughs> yes. it, yeah, it's a wild story. I mean, yeah. it's uh, the just the authenticity of it. You know, the the history of it is really special. Well, don't you? Um make your whiskey in a certain style too i mean isn't there like a kansas city whiskey or we do and that's where yeah the, so where our sherry comes in or yep. something so or? our um kansas city whiskey which is our flagship whiskey it's the product that most people recognize us for um is uh it, it incorporates sherry into it and it's a recipe that was inspired by when we started putting together the plan for re- resurrecting the brand you know, Jay Rieger and Company was known as a whiskey company back in the in the 1800s, early 1900s. The problem now is if you try to start a whiskey distillery today, you know, making whiskey takes a lot of time. It takes years sure. uh, from the time that you start to make it and then the aging process. You know, you're looking at four, five, six years mm-hmm. before you have a product. Yeah. And so from a, just a strictly business point of view, like how do you make that work? You know, how, do you, how can you invest all, so much time and energy in something that's going to take so many years before you even have a product to sell? And then hope that it's going to be good, yeah. you know. So the solution uh, that we came up with was to do a blended and rectified American whiskey, which was a very common process of making American whiskey back in the 1800s. And uh, after a, a lot of you know uh, historical research and everything, discovered that um, using sherry in American whiskey and sourcing and blending different types of whiskey together to create a proprietary uh, recipe was a just a traditional thing and something that I believe Jay Rieger and company was doing back then. And so that's the path we decided to take. So we simultaneously built a distillery to begin <laughs> making our own whiskey, you know, from grain, from scratch, aging in barrel, you know, for years to come. Um, but then also released a, a whiskey right out of the gates when we uh, started up the company in 2014. And that whiskey includes a 15 year old Oloroso Sherry, which makes it uh, specifically Kansas city whiskey. What a, what a, fabulous business model too i mean you get your cash flow going right right now basically or, yeah you know in a well you have much, to much i mean oh, absolutely you know unless we you, you know unless yeah. you've got a bunch of friggin' money in the bank and yeah <laughs> i know i don't <laughs> did you launch then with with both whiskey and and vodka like a lot of distributors the, the whiskey do? was first and was in fact okay. we didn't even intend to do a vodka in the beginning um that wasn't a part of the business plan like we were going to come out with our kc whiskey we were going to start producing bourbon and rye and laying those barrels down for years. And then we were going to work on a gin um, and then see what else happened, you know. Um, but the vodka thing was really kind of funny because, you know, we just weren't interested in making a vodka for a couple of reasons, you know, as a bartender and as a, you know, a spirits, you know, someone who appreciates, you know, the finer spirits and wines and all that. Vodka just isn't exciting. No. You know, it's not, it's not as interesting. Um, and it's, it's almost become a commodity. I mean, it's so saturated in the market. Like, I didn't really have any initial interest to jump into that game. You know, it was going to, it's really cutthroat. Kind of so, so, like, okay, well, let's like not mess around with vodka. But the irony is that as soon as we started the company and we brought back the brand and we're telling the story and everybody's, like, getting all excited about this Kansas City history and everything and the whole 
bartending industry, the service industry locally was like, give us a vodka, give us a local <laughs> vodka that we can sell, yeah. you know, and and then you take a step back and you look at it from just a business perspective and you kind of have to slap yourself and say, well, why didn't we think of this in the first place? Because it's a no brainer. It's right. easy. Mm-hmm. You can't mess up vodka. <laughs> you know, you if almost you have can, to, you better get out of you the business have, real fast. Right, you almost have to try to <laughs> screw it up. So like, yeah, what were we thinking? So we actually, we ended up kind of pivoting, you know, right away and saying, all right, we're going to come up with a vodka now. And we released our vodka in July of 2015, you know, not too long after we, we started the brand. And uh, it's, a, it's an important part of our lineup, you know, and it's good. You know, there's, you know, I, I don't have anything against vodka. It's still the number one selling spirit in the United States. And, you know, it, vodka pays the bills is what a lot of the sure, bartenders say. The so, on, yeah. yeah. You know what I'd love to do? I'd oh. love to. I'd love to have a cocktail. Yeah, yeah. Can what are you in the mood t- for? Can we? Uh, you, you surprise me. What are you, All right. What are you in the mood to make? Well, you know, we could do a few things here. I think maybe one, uh, uh, maybe an introductory cocktail would be a horse feather, which is a traditional kind of Casey area, born out of Lawrence, Kansas, uh, classic, uh, using uh, our whiskey, ginger beer, and uh, Angostura bitters. Just kind of a light. All refreshing highball. Sign me up. Yeah. Sound like a plan? Yeah, I'll Please. co-sign that. All right. Yes. Well, let me see if I can uh, find make this, some make this happen. Find some stuff around here to make that happen. <laughs> right. I'll do my best. <laughs> so, did you get your uh, cocktail or uh, bartending job like the moment you turned twenty-one? Or um, actually, yeah. So I did um, start bartending right when I turned twenty-one. I was already working in restaurants and bars. Um, I found some tools, by the way, if you heard those. Um, <laughs> I found the tools. Oh, that was my knee. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, like, I was working in hotels quite a bit. I was doing a lot of room service, bussing tables, that kind of thing. And then I ended up, uh, right after I turned 21, got a job at a restaurant in KC called uh, Pierpont's at Union Station, at the historic Union Station uh, downtown, which is a beautiful, beautiful high-end fine dining mm-hmm. restaurant. Um, just a wonderful place, and that's kind of where I fell in love with uh, bartending in general and uh, um, the hospitality industry. And, you know, at that point in my life, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was paying my way through college, kind of just trying to figure it out. But after a couple of years, I discovered, like, this is what I'm going to do. I want to own my own restaurant, my own bar. So uh, dropped out. Of, didn't drop out of school. I got my two-year, uh, two-year uh, degree and then just started focusing on, you know, trying to uh, raise money and figure out how to open a business. Is that still the same uh, bar that's in Union Station? Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, cool. Like the 20, yeah. 25 foot tall back bar on the yeah. rolling ladder. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, it feels like it's out of like, like New York City in the 20s. Like, it's, I mean, it's, it's really like stunning. Art Deco and, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. And it's funny too because I, you know, I got hired there at 21 years old. And it was a very high-profile restaurant opening at the time. Like, like all the, you know, the seasoned professionals in the industry and the servers and bartenders all wanted to work there. And here I am, this like really naive 21-year-old kid who had no idea what I was getting into. Somehow, I ended up getting the job. I don't know how, with no experience. Um, but I just I would not leave the the hiring the the bar manager alone. Like I just kept bugging him and being like, you need to hire me. Did you have like a, a mentor at that time that I mean, you can look back on? That yeah, like, totally. Yeah, I think you did. You know, yeah. mentorship is something that I take really seriously and I, I really value a lot. Um, I've had multiple mentors, but a, a couple specifically from my 
my time at uh, Pierpont, uh, an older gentleman by the name of Radar, which who can think of a better name for a bartender than Radar? You know, and back then in 99 when we opened, um, he was probably like 55 or something like that. And he was already a really grumpy old curmudgeon bartender. Um, and, I, and I guarantee you he hated me for like the first six months until like, because I was like the annoying kid. You know what I mean? That wanted to learn everything sure. and know everything. It was like really ambitious, and he just like he just wanted to be like shut the fuck up. I just want to like <laughs> get my shift over with as early as possible. But yeah, I've been doing this for a hundred years. I really don't need to be seriously right, right. So, but eventually we became really, really close, and um, he was definitely one of my earliest uh, mentors. But there were several people that are like that, you know, that I, I learned a lot from. I learned a lot about just general hospitality, like how to take care of people, how to how to serve the guests, how to be good at bartending. And back then, it didn't even have to do with making cocktails. Like, we did old cocktails back then, but mostly for the most part, in 1999 to, like, 2002, I mean, I was shaking, like, 200 apple teenies a night and 300 Cosmos and, a, and, a, and 100 chocolate martinis and then pouring a bunch of scotch on the rocks, and that's it. Yeah. You know, like, it wasn't cocktail-centric. It was the early days of that transition into the, the cocktail renaissance that we're all familiar with now. Do you have a favorite cocktail that you like to make? If you could only make one more cocktail, would there, would there be one that you would have your... If I could only make to? one cocktail for the rest of my life, I, would, I think that would be hell. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no kidding. That's, that's not fair, you know? Um, like no, I don't know. I mean, there's a few that definitely stand out to me that have, like, a special kind of background or history like the Sazerac is one um, that was one of the first ones that I learned that like really kind of made the light bulb go on and be like huh this whole cocktail thing there's really something to it you know like learning how to make a Sazerac was a, a really cool experience um, a daiquiri I think like a traditional daiquiri that's almost like a today like a measuring stick for you know knowing if a bartender is like worth his salt you know asking them to make just a proper classic daiquiri because it's only three ingredients and it's super easy, but you can also, like, really screw it up. And that can be said for a lot of drinks, like, uh, you know, Manhattan, Negroni, Old Fashioned, whatever. But, uh, yeah, daiquiri is definitely one. Um, I don't know. There's quite a few. It, it's, it's fairly important to um, measure when you're making cocktails, too, right? I mean, it's almost like, you know, when you're, you, I like to cook. So when I'm making whatever, chicken piccata or whatever, it's not as mm-hmm. important for me to measure out the whatever it is, wh- whether it be um, capers or whatever it is that I'm making. But when you're making a, it's kind of like baking in a way. Yeah. Where, where you really need to measure out what you're what you're making and um, or, or you're gonna the, the flavor profile is not gonna be right am i saying that right am yeah I you are anything right right now no i mean balance? i you know i would always i always like to uh um you know kind of associate bartending with being like a chef right but more specifically not necessarily a chef as much as a pastry chef it's much more akin uh, to being a pastry chef really? than, than it is to being a like a regular saute cook. Okay. You know what I mean? Where you're kind of like, it's a pinch of salt, sure. you know, and you're like, you're kind of dousing it with olive oil or whatever. But in, in baking, you have to be really precise or else you, it just falls apart, you know. So measuring is very important. It is. If you're going to get it right, because sometimes when you're trying to balance ingredients that are herbal, bitter, really sweet, 
you know, those types of things, you, it doesn't take, you don't have to be off by much to completely throw the drink out of whack. So measuring is very, very important. And it's also, I think, something hard to, knowing this firsthand, owning a restaurant, and it's something hard to get your employees to realize that, no, 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 I've been doing this a long time, I don't, I'm just going to, no, you need, there's a reason why we have you measure, there's a reason why you have the tools that you have. When I first opened Manifesto in 2009, um, I, I was very, very, very rigid about how we were going to do cocktails. Um, because I knew that what we were doing was going to be special, and I knew that no one else was doing it like that in Kansas City, and I had seen it succeed in other places like New York and Chicago, and I'm like, this is going to be awesome, but it has to be done well. Right. We can't cut corners. And so it was a rule. like You're going to measure. You're going to learn how to use a jigger. And I had one bartender in the very beginning when we first opened that, just he thought he was better than that. You know, he pushed back really hard. He's like, I'm a professional bartender. I know how to, I know how to measure. And I'm like, well, I don't really care. I mean, it's my bar, and you're going to measure <laughs> with a jigger, and I'm going to teach you how to do it. I'm going to teach you how to do it fast, and I'm going to teach you how to do it to where you still look cool. And if you can't get past that, then you're, you're not going to work here, bottom line. Um, did, but, you fig- did you figure it out? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the other thing to that is it's not too hard for you to say, okay, you think you're a badass, and you can blind pour one quarter of an ounce, one half of an ounce, three quarters of an ounce, one ounce, one and a half, two ounces. Mm-hmm. And you think you can blind pour all those pours accurately every single time and not be off? Show me. If you can do it, I'll let you. No one's ever been able to do it. Yeah. When you say do it quickly, what's the, what's the, what's the, the, the key to doing it? Because that, that, to me, is kind of the pushback as we get busy and I, I don't have time to measure. Yes, you do. One of my favorite phrases is, that I teach bartenders is slow is smooth and smooth is fast, right? Be patient, take your time, limit your motions, economy of motions. And that all begins with mise en place, the French phrase that you know, applies very much to fine dining and sure. to cooking, everything in its place. You know where everything is every time, no matter what. You never leave it in the wrong place. It always goes back to its home. You always know. And so you're, you're training yourself to to have this this rhythm you know and this these repetitive motions over and over and you're limiting your your movements so it's economy of motion right and the more you do that the smoother you get and if you're smooth you become fast Mm -hmm. right takes a little bit of practice takes a little bit of patience but it works every single time i love it i love it have you always been a student of of just history in general because it seems like you like you really like the classic you know, the origins of the cocktails. and, and yeah, I, I think, honestly, I learned that at Pierpont's because, um, and that was my first job, and it's part of why I feel, you know, very, uh, uh, like I owe that place a lot of gratitude um, because it's a beautiful, beautiful restaurant and bar in a very historic setting. Um, and Union Station in Kansas City was built in 1914, um, and it was the second largest train station in the United States, which is what made... Um, Kansas City, the hub of the travel hub of the Midwest back then, and still to this day, Union Station is in Kansas City is the second largest train station in the U.S. behind, or uh, second largest behind Grand Central and third based on volume after Grand Central in New York and uh, the one in D.C. Um, and so it already had this historic vibe and feel to it, and you could feel that every time that you went into the building. And I worked there for five years, from the time I was 21 to 26, and. Um, it was just wonderful, and it was also a very 
Um, it was kind of teeming with like the movers and shakers in Kansas oh, yeah. City and the politicians and the mayor was always there. You know, it was uh, um, just just the restoration of Houston of, of Union Station in general back then was a very hotly debated political yeah. uh, issue, and so that ended up kind of sticking with it. Cool. You know, and being a bartender in a, in a fine dining restaurant in that setting, I felt like kind of a part of all that, mm-hmm. um, and then starting starting to get turned on to classic cocktails. Um, back then just kind of added to it. And as soon as I realized, what really did it for me was the, the creative element of making cocktails because there was the historic element, which is like kind of cool and nostalgic and has this sort of romance to it. But then once I discovered that you also could have a creative influence and impact, you know, like making something new from scratch, that's kind of what finally did it for me. Well, like you said, uh, you know, not just a, a mise en place, but also a sense of place uh, with mm-hmm. the cocktails, too. I, I love riding trains, and everywhere I go, I, I just love train stations and stuff like that. And, and that idea of that classic cocktail that's made everywhere. But then there's also something that's made just that place, too. Right. And, and giving it a real sense of, of being there and traveling there and, right. and enjoying it. And that's, I'm glad you made this horse feather. I've never had a horse feather. Before. Yeah, and horse feather is, is a great drink that's yeah. super easy to make. Yeah. So what, what is, tell, tell yeah. us what, what's in this, this um, guy. So the horse feather originated in Lawrence, Kansas in the early 1990s. Um, uh, I believe at a place called Paradise Cafe, but it was popularized at a really great bar that still exists today called the A Street Tap Room in uh, downtown Lawrence. Yeah. And it was made back then with rye whiskey, uh, a homemade ginger beer um, at the Street Tap Room, and then Angostura bitters. And that's kind of the, the calling card of the horse feather is like a, you'll notice the color of this drink and how much bitters I put on the top of it, right? Mm-hmm. And you get that aroma right off the, yeah. right off the bat. It's the first thing you smell is that ango. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, you know, I, I always tell bartenders, don't be shy with the ango on the horse feather. <laughs> like, that's what makes it a horse feather. Um, it's a very Kansas City thing. So it, uh, it spread, obviously, from Lawrence, Kansas in the 1990s to uh, Kansas City. And then uh, I believe the first time that it was ever published like as a national, nationally known uh, drink was by Gaz Regan in his first Bartender's Bible, which I think was uh, 1998, 1999. And he actually credited I, – I did a bunch of research on this drink years ago because I became fascinated with it being like a local classic. And he credited um, Harry's Bar and Tables with – coming up with it and so I started to dig a little bit deeper than that and turned out that was wrong and it didn't really? or it did not originate at Harry's Barn Tables in Kansas City but it originated <laughs> earlier than that in Lawrence so just got a really cool history to it and it's one of those drinks where you go in Kansas City like you go everywhere like it doesn't matter what kind of bar it is it doesn't have to be a fancy cocktail bar it doesn't have to be a nice restaurant it could be a dive bar pool hall a sports bar a neighborhood pub whatever and they're going to be able to make you a horse feather yeah, because it's easy it's delicious and it's become it's become iconic and ubiquitous in that area. It's it's really good. Yeah, it's really dangerous, is what it is. It's a lot it, better than the uh, the other Kansas City named one that I found out about in college that just seemed to be a whole bunch of clear liquor slopped into a um, glass called a Kansas City ice water. Casey ice water. Yeah, yeah, that's another one that I don't. <laughs> There, there's a little bit of mystery behind that one too. Yeah. Like I've tried to figure out exactly where that one came yeah. from, and no one—I don't know—maybe no one wants to actually take credit for it. I, <laughs> I, I, I think nope, that wasn't me. It was not me because I thought I had like nailed down who came up with it. He's like, no, 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 I didn't do that. 
So, (laughs) but you're right. It's another one of those modern classics. We actually have a, we serve the the KCS water at our distillery and we do it in a bottle. We we do a nice version of it though. Like not a college bar version of it. What what is in a KCS water exactly? It depends on where you go, but I think like, you know, I think the original one was just like, if you want to know what I really think happened, I think it was one of those drinks that bartenders and servers were drinking post shift while they're like cleaning up. Sure. And it was a pint glass with like half vodka and half gin <laughs> and then split with club soda and seven upper tonic or something like that. Yeah. Depending on who you talk to. And it was just a big toilet and it looked like water. So it looked like, you know, if you're like mopping the floor or busting up your tables or whatever, it didn't look like you were getting shit faced, but you actually yeah. were. But you actually were. You know, yeah. and, and yeah. I'm pretty certain that's how it originated. Um, today you'll see some more um, refined uh, versions of it, but it's definitely become a thing. Can you do like a, a riff on this or a variant on this and do a different? You type can do of riffs on that, everything, right? I mean, that's it, the beauty. Isn't of that it. what's fun about this? Because I would guess with bitters being so popular, yeah, that you could put a different type of bitters in here and it just change, it changes the drink, correct? You or, could, but I would absolutely be furious if you called it a horse feather and didn't oh, have no, Angostura. No, no, oh, yeah, it. no, I get it. No, I get what you're saying. It's not that drink anymore. <laughs> right. and now, yeah, it's, so uh, now it's something you know, else, it's right? What, you know, yeah, you could put a different. Sure, the, you know, right. if you wanted the, the cool thing about bitters is now you got so many different flavors mm-hmm. out there so if you wanted to use walnut or chocolate or right. celery or who knows what you know you can do it and you know come up with a different flavor profile but it, that's one of the things that's really a hallmark about the horse feather is the angostura bitters okay so speaking of bitters what the hell is bitters what is i mean what if for for your average joe that says you know i just see it looks like looks like um worcestershire sauce you know, in the grocery store or whatever. What, yeah, the Ingo, what, yeah, the yeah. bright yellow cap yeah, and yeah. the label that doesn't yep. fit, which exactly. are the most iconic <laughs> Yep, they did that uh, by accident or something They did like do that. it by accident, and, and yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But what, what are bitters? I mean, it's alcoholic, right? I mean, there's alcohol Most bitters are alcohol. Okay. Yes. Historically, they are made by uh, doing a heavy maceration of herbs and spices and flowers and citrus peels and all kinds of different ingredients in alcohol like a heavy oil extraction a maceration of them concentration right and historically they were really meant to be medicinal like you know you mentioned earlier like seeing the stomach bitters on our cell sheet from back in the 1800s that was a very common thing um, bitters cured everything back then. You know, it didn't matter what ailment you had. Bitters were a cure for it. Um, and it wasn't, they weren't necessarily intended to be a cocktail ingredient early on. But then some of the first cocktails, I think, that that would have included the uh, addition of bitters would have been what's now known today as the old-fashioned, obviously, mm-hmm. which in the beginning, the original drink name was the Bittered Sling. Um, and now we know it today as the old fashioned. Um, but then also, um, the, uh, the Sazerac is an iconic cocktail that would have incorporated bitters at a very early, early time as well. But it also, you know, adds flavor and aroma. Um, because there's such a concentration of those spices and those ingredients, it does add flavor and character to mm-hmm. the drink as well as aroma. And it has the ability to balance out other elements because it is bitter right yep. to the taste you drink yep. it by itself mm-hmm. it's like like you know it you don't think it's you should be drinking it because it's really intensely concentrated and, and bitter right so it balances out sugary elements the irony about it is today so funny thing about like angostura and peixos and these these classic bitters 
um, they're considered by the TTB, by the you know the gov- the American government as non-potable, which means that you can't drink them, <laughs> and that's why you can buy them in grocery stores um, because they're considered non-potable huh. alcohol. You're not meant; they're not meant to be consumed. And there's actually like a panel. Like if you were to start a bitters company today, and you wanted to have bitters with alcohol and actually sell them as bitters, and the benefit being that you don't have to pay federal excise taxes right. on the alcohol. Well, in order to get that approval. Um, from the TTB, you actually go through a tasting test and it has to taste so bad that they would say no one would ever drink this. <laughs> so <laughs> that's essentially like the, the process yeah. to become a, like a, an actual bitters. So, so to be, be successful to... at your job, you have to make something yeah. that's really crappy. Or sell absinthe. <laughs> or sell absinthe. Yeah. So it almost sounds like bitters are like a, a new world descendant of digestifs. Yeah, well, there's a, they're, they yeah, overlap. Okay. Yeah. You know, they're, they are meant... In a lot of ways, they have some of the same ingredients that help you, you know, digest your food or what mm-hmm. the, you know, they would refer to as a digestivo in Italy yeah. or a digestif in, in France. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the same ingredients. I have this image of, you know, like people going around in wagons and selling, you know, you know potent uh, or um, potions for you know, your stomachs and everything like that, almost like um, like like local medicine or snake oil type. Yeah, snake oil, well, yeah. to a certain extent, yep. yeah. And then in the old world, you know, they would just be called the uh, the local healer. Yeah, you know. <laughs> oh yeah. So of course, in my head, then it's always like a little person with you know an East European accent, and you drink this, you'll be fine. <laughs> One of the companies we buy those conservas from the little. Yeah tinned seafoods that mm-hmm. we, we have mm-hmm. in here has also has a catalog of bitters and mm-hmm. I am blown away. I mean, it's oh my pages God. and yeah. pages and pages of bitters and five, ten years ago, that was not a, I mean, you had Angostura and, you know, some of the different a couple of, lim, what's there, like a lemon one and or grapefruit and some mm-hmm. of the common are, you know, small, but now it's like Everybody's making bitters. Yeah, there's so. a which is cool. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I agree. You know, my first bartending job in '99, I had two bitters. Yeah, and that was one more than almost every other bar in the sure. city. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and now we actually me, yeah. had Peychauds. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody has Angostura. Yeah, um, because if you know, just in case someone ordered a Manhattan or a you know Manhattan or an old fashioned. You know, you had to have Angostura, but I actually had Peychauds back then. But I was fortunate enough to have two different kinds of bitters back in the late 90s. And now today, I mean, you could fill shelves with the, the many different brands and flavors of bitters out there. You think it's overkill, or do you, or do you, do you buy into the whole idea of the different flavors? I, I think that people like to have options. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to have options mm-hmm. as a bartender. I also like to have options as a consumer. And so I think mm-hmm. consumers like to have options. Now, if you're asking me as a business person, do I think it's overkill? I would not want to get into the bitters game. Yeah. So that's yeah. not on the uh, Jay Rieger. <laughs> no. uh, it's not on, no. it's not on the radar. <laughs> no. It's not on the business plan. <laughs> Well, I think I found my one of my new favorite drinks. I want to uh, thank you for doing that. Yeah, that man. Really good. Yeah, you're going to need to swing up here every Friday. Uh, well, we, <laughs> we've got this on tap all over Kansas City, like horse no, feathers on draft. No kidding. Everywhere. Oh, well, can we can we do that here? We can't, can we? I can help you. I, I mean, I don't know. We if can we try. Can, I don't know if we can. So, legally so you're do. telling me I can get this in a sixdal, and I can take it home. <laughs> um, well, yeah, he's going somewhere. Okay, with so this. you can't <laughs> purchase the. The kegs on, like the kegs from the liquor store now. Okay. But if you can go to a multitude of bars and restaurants, really? my distillery, and you can, you're a horse feather and it's on draft because we just 
crushed through so much of it. They're all looking any, at Zach. I wonder if there's anywhere the state would let, like, like, like if the state would let us have that here in the in the restaurant. I, I mean, this is dangerous. Don't yeah. ask for permission. Just yeah, just you know, order it. Yeah, just ask we'll for just put it. Actually, we'll just since we have such big foot traffic, you know, outside here you know, on Friday and Saturday night, we'll just put a little tapper outside. Do it and just have a dude stand in there, you know, just taking cash. I like it. Well, there's got to be a tap system for it and because can, of the ginger beer. Yeah. So mm-hmm. right, I mean, because you've got a little carbonation in there. I can I yeah. can walk you through the process. It's not that hard. Not that place I found in Spain that had a wine tapper on the outside of the building. Yeah. Like, we could do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we want to go down. Yeah, how did you lose your liquor license? Well, <laughs> we can just pour it from the roof. <laughs> okay. Well, nicely done. That That's really tasty. And the funny thing is, what, three ingredients with a little lemon in it? And it doesn't take much more than that most oh, of the time. Man. The best drinks are, you know. Yeah. Three ingredients yeah, so or five ingredients or less. Not tiki, anyway. not tiki drinks. Huh? Oh, I love tiki. I'll give I'll give them that. Yeah, you know I love tiki alive. drinks. But yeah, don't try to overkill it. We tried know? to do some tiki drinks next door, and I'm surprised that I didn't get hung with the <laughs> quarter ounce of this and a little yeah. bit of that, and you got to dance around it three times with a match. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> tiki is so fun. Though. Oh, I, mean, I agree. I, I mean, it's so fun. Yeah. It's worth it. And it if you've so got a fun. good bartender, it's fun to watch him it or is. her make that tiki it is. drink. Yep. Yeah, especially if they're not wearing any pants. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. So the things that they don't, don't allow in Iowa versus apparently what's I'm normal. Sorry. It, yeah. I must go to different tiki bars than you guys. Bartenders oh, without apologies. pants. All right. Yeah. yeah. No, oh, I think we got. We need to be writing this down. Yeah, this that's is gold. gold. Yeah. Hold on for a second. <laughs> no uh, pants. That's no, we'll, yeah, we'll just call yeah. it no pants. Yeah. I think we're onto something here. I think we are. I don't think we are. No pants tiki. Yeah. Hold on. So streaky tiki. It's streaky just, tiki. That, that's genius. We were present at the moment of creative inspiration, so we're in A couple on this more now, of these, but... and I'm going to take over the free world. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> or the unfree one, on the, too. The People got to drink too. everywhere. They got to drink everywhere. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, what's next on the docket for you? What's, uh, what's, your, what's, your, what's, your, what's the next big plan you got going on i mean you got some more restaurants going on you take got a vacation uh, yeah, take, maybe take a day <laughs> you off. know it's funny i i no i don't think i've had a proper vacation in five years and i actually did book uh, a vacation uh around my birthday in december um my girlfriend and i and, and some friends of ours are going to go to to uh, mexico for uh five days and hang out on the beach It'll be the first actual vacation i've had in five years and uh i must say i, I very much deserve it um, deserve it and, and looking forward <laughs> yes. to it, I'm sure. <laughs> but at the same time, like, I mean, we're not slowing down. I mean, Jay Rieger and company has been just moving at light speed and, you know, COVID, you know, punched us in the face. But we're, you know, we've, if anything, you know, what we've been through over the last 18 months has made me more confident in our ability to overcome and, and shown us, shown me how resilient, uh, resilient our team can be and, yep. and who we really are and what we're capable of. And so, you know, uh, we're really, really excited about, you know, what we've got coming uh, in the future. Like, we just, you know, we, we just opened up another space at the distillery just a couple weeks ago uh, called the Electric Park Garden Bar. And so we've added this outdoor patio, beautiful patio bar element to the space. Um, and so it's really just, it's, it's really something. And we're continuing to grow. I think what's probably next for us is, uh, you know, uh, international distribution. That's probably the next step is for us to distribute our products overseas. Is that, do you find that that, in your research so far, you found that you think that's going to be easier or more difficult? Because there's not as many regulations in 
it, it, from what I've like for cheese, for example, I'm a big. I love cheese, mm-hmm. and I've been to Europe a couple times, done cheese journey it trips, and the regulation for cheese and Robiola and, and and all of the uh, Reblecon and all that's the uh, Reblechon mm-hmm. and all those cheeses that you can't have here, right? Uh, that, that are in uh, Europe, and the non regulations of an alcohol. I just is that is it? Do you finding it to be easier or harder? Um, There's a question so, in there somewhere. Well, okay, so <laughs> there down. are regulations so, to selling alcohol overseas. It's just different, right? And so um, I've actually been working on this for damn near two years. I mean, we were going to, to launch international distribution in the EU back in the summer of 2020. And then, you know, COVID just threw a wrench into sure. absolutely everything yep. and delayed everything. Um, but we're, we're kind of back on track now. We're getting closer to being able to do it. And there are definitely a lot of steps in the process. It's expensive. And then, you know, I don't know if I can classify it as either easier or harder. I think it depends on what our expectations are. Mm-hmm. I think it's more a matter of managing our expectations and making sure that we understand what it's going to do for us and not, you know, uh, getting that part wrong. Right. Um, how much do we want to invest in it? How much do we want to market it? Or is it just kind of a nice kind of added bonus? At the end of the day, we are never going to do focus so much of our energy that distracts us from our hometown, our backyard. That's Kansas City. That's Missouri. That's Kansas, and that's the outlying areas. Like sure. I would consider Des Moines a part of that. I would well, consider Omaha, that. and you know Tulsa yeah. and places like that, like a part of our backyard. That's the most important thing for us is to focus on that because that's always going to represent the the majority of our total business. The other stuff is kind of like a nice kind of bonus. Sure. You know, and the, the fact that you can go to some bars in New York and find Jay Rieger whiskey. That's, that's got to cool. put a smile on your face, right? Yeah, I, mean, I love it. It's got great. To. I mean, so, I mean, dude, if I could go to, you know, Paris and have a French 75 with Rieger Gin, are you kidding me? <laughs> I love it. But am I expecting it to do, you know, I, I, I you just kind of like kind of keep your, your expectations, sure. you know, tempered. That's balance, right? I mean, right. You, you would think, would you say you're in 26 states? Yeah, I think uh, so, I mean, 26. They, kind of, they the, fluctuate so I mean, why not go to the other 30 states we have? Um, well, so, because... You know, 42. Well, because, 42 because of what you said, like the regulation side of it, the state it's, laws. It's, like, it's so difficult. Some yeah. that would just never go it in. It just doesn't even... Yeah. yeah. Yep. Get it. Get it. See what I did there with the 30 states and 26? I, I don't understand. I don't know what you're talking no, about. That seemed to check out to me. But then again, Puerto my state, horse feather right? is gone. So <laughs> it's almost time for another cocktail. Yeah. Ryan. Should we do another cocktail? Mm. I think we can. Just say yes. I, mean, I got a little dump bucket. We have the right technology. Here. We want to dump out the ice, so. and if we want to, I don't know if Let that's. Let me see if I can make it work. I think I'm going to just do something like really uh, simple, but a little bit more boozy, like okay. maybe a Negroni. Oh man, Negroni would make me super happy. You want a Negroni too, Zach? Let's do four Negronis. All right. Mm-hmm. You want one too, there, big guy, or what do you, you what do you think? Sure. That was delicious. I can hardly wait to. I have. Yo, ironically, we, we really skipped past this part about how I can get a keg of this. Like, <laughs> we'll like, come back. Yeah, we're gonna yeah, have right, to. We're gonna need to talk more <laughs> yeah, about this. It's, that's a that's a it's conversation. The, end of the evening is how do we make a keg of this format? Or totally. How <laughs> how big of a can can they actually make? Don't you think that was delicious? Oh yeah, yeah. Like that would. I yeah. mean, could we put this in like a bag in a box type thing too? Oh, oh holy! Smokes. It's possible. Boy, the lady friend would love that if I could take a bag in the box of this home. I mean, she would think I am so much more attractive. So, I mean, that's the uh, liquor makes all of us more attractive. That's man. The, the important part. Yeah. What you say, Zach? 
I mean, that's really kind of your DNA, isn't it? Sorry, he's <laughs> nodding yes. He's saying yes, I'm very he's ugly. He's not even listening. Um, yes, I, I can't hear you. Yes. All right. <laughs> I just said you were adorable. Thank you. You're welcome. And me, 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 me. So what you making over there, big guy? Well, I'm going to do a Negroni, but I'm getting weird with it. That's oh, okay really? with you. Okay. Hey. Because you gave me, you actually gave me some like really cool products that I haven't seen before. Oh, I should have brought the um, the Orahovic. I didn't even think about bringing that. Oh, the Moripovic. I yeah, love that. Yeah, the, the green walnut liqueur from yeah. Croatia. Yeah. Uh, Have you heard of that before, Ryan? <laughs> ah. The green walnut liqueur from Croatia. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I, I know that I one. I found it there and, and loved it and couldn't find it anywhere. And because my mom's awesome, uh, she found some place that was willing to ship it here in the U.S. that had three dusty bottles somewhere on the back shelf in their warehouse. And, uh, oh, it's so good. I'll bring that in some night or some days. I can you can try it. Um, yeah, it it should not be that good. Um, I bought some absinthe when I was in France a couple years ago that I still have that still scares me to open. And yeah. Why is it that most people are afraid of, of absinthe? Is that because it, 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 they they wormwood and and everyone going crazy from drinking it or what? What's that all about? Um, yeah, I mean it's, it's the the result of a pretty targeted propaganda campaign back in the early 1900s that you know really made it out to be something that it wasn't i mean look you can you could drink by the by the time you drink enough absinthe to actually hallucinate you're going to be dead from alcohol poisoning (laughs) you know it's good to know so um that's not really a thing but it did add a a, an element of mystique to it and allure to it i mean I was definitely intrigued by it when I first heard those stories and wanted to learn more, you know. But about absinthe, how I, could, how I could go blind. You know, absinthe is a an integral ingredient, you know, in in cocktail canon and in making uh, certain classic drinks. You just can't make it make some of them without absinthe. So you got to have a bottle behind your bar. Well, that goes to the uh, story of a lot of alcohol, whether it's wine or, or whiskey. A lot of times we start off on really terrible things. You know, my first exposure to absinthe was that of, you know, thinking it's like chlamydia. It really sucks to have. Like, like it's just terrible. <laughs> you know, someone had it, you know, brought it back from Spain because you could buy it in Spain with the wormwood. And, yeah. and uh, um, I think Czechoslovakia, too. Maybe? Yeah, but, yeah. okay, so you could get it in Spain, you can get, and this is like 20 years ago, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Czech, but the Czech stuff was bad yeah like there was a bunch they had capitalized on the fact that a lot of people had heard about it and yeah. they wanted it and so there's a bunch of fake it shit out there terrible and yeah. it was really really bad and even to this day so i was in prague probably 15 years ago and there was there was a bunch of really rotten absinthe there like yeah. you didn't want to drink it Thank you. i think we all have that that bad memory of of some type of cocktail when you're younger and mine is slow gin yeah. Oh my lord. Slow gin and what when I was in college was it slow gin and seven up. Is that a thing? Was that a thing? I think it was. And I just, it's it was, so, it was it's, if you were pouring bottles on sale at the grocery store. It's so cloyingly sweet. Well, it's probably because you just, you know, you, you back then I mean you might have had like a thirty year old dusty bottle of slow gin in the cupboard and nothing to mix it with uh, except yeah. for seven up. Yeah, that's mine you know? been it. But do you make anything with slow gin? I mean, slow you, gin fizz. Okay. That's it. All right. And what I is mean, that? It's a gin fizz using slow gin. Okay. 
I mean, but what, what, remember, you're We're talking gonna, to Dork here. You're going to need a Pictionary. You're going to have to Pictionary. I'm going to give you a pin, and I want you to draw it out for me. Right. What's the fizz? Okay, so gin fizz is a, uh, and it's a very classic old drink where um, it would be gin, lemon juice, sugar, shaken, soda water, and if you added egg white to it, it would be known as a silver gin fizz. Oh, wow. Um, now, now a slow, showing, a slow now gin, just showing off. Slow gin fizz would be instead of using like a London dry gin or an old Tom gin, you use slow gin, which is you know the berry flavor and a little okay. sweeter and everything. Which oh, not a bad drink. I yeah. mean, a slow gin fizz made correctly is pretty delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not super I can't, sweet. Not if it's made right. Okay. I mean, it's actually really light and refreshing. Okay. And then is a like gin rickies that don't have the bubble in them. No, gin rickies don't have sugar. Don't have sugar. Okay, but they yeah. do have bubbles. Okay, so really dry, like tart. You know. Um, kind of pounding it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it. I mean, I like all those drinks. Yeah. Those are great. Those classic drinks like that that are like three, four ingredients. You know, they're simple rules, simple, mm-hmm. simple to make, and they're mm-hmm. really good if they're executed mm-hmm. right. I learned of a drink, you know, maybe in the last six, eight months or so, called the Suffering Bastard. Dude, but it wasn't the yeah. tiki version. It was like the original, like forties yeah. from Egypt. Was it Egypt from Egypt? Yeah, from Cairo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe, the bartender's name was Joe. Can't remember his last mm-hmm. name, but um, I actually did a video on the suffering bastard. Oh, no doubt. Um, so back, <laughs> it's so funny you <laughs> bring up this. the suffering bastard. I, yeah. I've, you um, wanted to make that, too. Yeah, right, yeah. I was looking through, and I was like, oh, I don't know if we have... It's so funny you bring <laughs> yeah. up the Suffering Bastard. I, uh, the, right at the beginning of COVID, mm-hmm. um, when everyone was quarantined and mm-hmm. nobody knew what the hell was going on, um, I had been traveling, like, nonstop, because that was the majority of my job, mm-hmm. was, like, traveling to other markets, promoting the brand, sure. working with bartenders, you know, being the face of the, the brand and everything. And then all of a sudden, I went from, like, traveling 200 days a year to traveling zero. Mm-hmm. And... Um, one of the things I was trying to figure out was like, okay, so how do I take care of my, you know, friends in the industry and the supporters of our brand in other cities, like that I can't come and visit them, you know, how can I take, I know they're struggling, they're maybe out of work, like, I don't know, no one knows what's going to happen. And so a couple of my distributors said to me, like, anything you can do to like, just connect with other bartenders, like the bartenders in our market, like in New York or Chicago or San Francisco or Denver or wherever, like, okay. And so we came with myself and uh, um, our uh, uh, graphic designer at the company. His name's Charlie Burt. Great dude. We came up with this crazy idea to do a um, movie night, like an online movie night. Netflix had just started this, like, group watching thing yeah, 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 exactly. called Net- uh, Netflix, like, watch party or something. Yep, yep. And, and it was like the timing yep. was perfect. And so what I did was I created this thing called Netflix and Cheers where every week... I would have a signature classic cocktail paired with a film and then have everyone just say, like, hey, make a riff on this classic cocktail with whatever you got in your house. Doesn't matter what. Just use this as inspiration. And we'll all watch the movie together online with, like, this little chat box and everything. And we'll have cocktails and watch a movie. And so every week was a different movie. It was a different cocktail. And so I paired... Um, the Suffering Bastard cocktail with Inglorious Bastards, no the way. Tarantino film, <laughs> and did a riff on the Suffering Bastard. And so, and I would do these videos, like these promotional videos, every week to announce like that week's movie and cocktail. Mm-hmm. And you can find them; they're all on YouTube. They're mm-hmm. on our YouTube channel. And uh, the Suffering Bastard one was one of my favorites because it's a cool story, like yeah. the story of the Suffering Bastard with the the general or the bartender in Cairo that worked at the 
the hotel that like only serviced like the the British Royal Navy, you know, during World War II, and it was a hangover cure. And I mean, it's just really really cool. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the tiki version at all. It was like gin and ginger beer mm-hmm. and a few other things. Yeah. So just really really fun. It's a it's a cool drink. Wasn't there like a story of like someone having it in like the thermos or a canteen or something and running it out to the? Yeah, because all yeah. the officers yeah. would hang, they were staying at the hotel. They were always like the officers were at the hotel, yeah. and then at one point they were like you know on the front lines and like you know in this long battle mm-hmm. and they needed um, they needed reinforcements and somebody <laughs> said like like one of the like one of the soldiers said I just need a suffering bastard from you know the the, yeah. the hotel, and uh, they actually called back for it and he had like prepared like huge amounts and put them in thermoses and sent them with one of the the, yeah. the generals to take to the front lines mm-hmm. who kn- you know I, and who I knows that this story is yeah, true it or doesn't not. matter but like, that's the beauty yeah. of like cocktail absolutely. history and yeah, stuff yeah, like absolutely. this is like yeah. you never yeah. you know dill de Groff, who's one of my heroes he always said you never ruin a good story with the truth yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. i love it so did you guys do during um uh, COVID, did you guys do any like to go cocktails and that we type did. of stuff? Yeah, to go cocktails became a thing. Yeah. We pivoted hard to hand sanitizer right in the beginning and we sure, produced sure. over a hundred thousand yep. gallons of yep. hand sanitizer, shipped it all over the country. That's actually what saved our company. Yeah. Then we went hard on the the to go cocktails and now we're still doing that. We're yep. still doing bottled cocktails. Well, even though we're like fully they changed back. the law. That, yeah, they changed the law. They changed the law here in Iowa. Um, we can a lot it. of states did. Yep. Um, Missouri did as yep. well. We're now but but because we're a distillery, we were able to register them with the TTB anyway. Gotcha. It just kind of expedited that process. Mm-hmm. You know, we just went ahead and did it. So it's now we can. Fun. Oh, sorry, it's I mean, really, no, it's yeah. really fun, yeah. and I'm all for it. Yeah. I mean, I I think you know the more options mm-hmm. you can give a business owner, the less regulations that you burden a business owner I'll with, the, the the happier I am. Yep. You know, and I don't look at it. I know that there are some, you know, small distilleries that might, you know, frown upon that concept because suddenly the 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 restaurant or the bar is able to like sell packaged goods to go and it might take business from the distillery. I don't look at it that way. I'm like the more overall volume you have, the opportunity to reach the customer, the better off you're going to be, right? Let's lift those restrictions. Let's make it easier for people to do business. I agree. And all these bullshit laws that we have to like navigate around every year, all the time anyway, they're all hangovers from prohibition. They're all blue oh, laws, absolutely. right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, make them all go away. Yeah. You know? Well, there's too much of the, that. To, yeah. Although, dollar, although the bottles that, you know, with the uh, little homemade label maker that just say alcohol. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not, right. not that I haven't bought something like that before. Like, I remember being in the backseat of, I think I told this story of my uh, my friend's bachelor party. and You lost his, me a backseat. His uh, uncle made schnapps. I don't know what was in it. All I know mm-hmm. is I don't remember the rest of the night. And <laughs> His uncle made schnapps. Actual moonshine. Yeah. Pretty easy to make. By I the think. way, this Negroni. Um, so you guys introduced me to a vermouth that I haven't seen before. Yeah. You had a bottle back there that yeah. I, I'm not familiar with. The Mathiasin? Yeah, vermouth from, sweet vermouth so, from California. That's okay. what I used in here. So, I actually so. split it. I didn't feel, since I hadn't tasted it, yeah. I didn't want to just like use a full ounce of it. Yeah. So I split it with uh, the traditional uh, yeah. Italian vermouth. So what do you have in here? What's, what is a Negroni? Three components. Pump. Okay. Gin, preferably Rieger's. Yeah, yeah. Western absolutely. dry gin. Right. Um, equal parts, all three. So gin, sweet vermouth, and Campari. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. On ice, stirred, equal. That's it. That's all, all right, you got to do. Mm-hmm. But what I did, and, and here's how you can kind of have fun with some of these like simple old recipes, is I took the vermouth component and split it. And I took 
instead of doing one full part of one vermouth, I did a half part of two different vermouths, which gives the drink a little bit more flavor and complexity. And you could do the same thing with the Campari, right? You could take the Campari, instead of being one part Campari, it could be a half part Campari and a half part Capaletti or yeah. something else. What would happen if I put some Aperol in there? That changes it completely? No, no. If you were to split the Campari base with Aperol, it would still work, although Aperol has less bitter component than Campari, and so it's going to probably skew the drink slightly more to the sweet, sweet side. side. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this, uh, this vermouth, if I'm because this is right off the top of my head here, uh, and I'm not making it up. I might actually be... Accurately yeah, stating. Actually. So Mathiasen is, a, is a, a winery in Napa Valley, and they're very kind of hands-off, let the, uh, let the grapes speak for themselves and the land. Well, they raisinate these grapes for the vermouth in the same way that they might do Amarone. Right. But it's multiple vintage. It's a non-vintage. So it's like three or four different years of grapes that they've pressed into it and make. And I think, uh, for some reason, I think it is somewhat Solera method. They don't make a lot of it each year. They just kind of progressively, you know, they have it in the barrel from three vintages and just kind of blend it as they go. That's cool. Yeah. I like that. And so it's, what you end up yeah. with is like every bottling, there's a little bit of the origin in there. Yeah, yeah. You know, which is kind of cool. Which is what I've always loved about sherry, too. Right. And when uh, um, we keep saying Zach, Zach's the uh, uh, rep for, uh, for Jay Rieger here in Iowa. Uh, when, the first, when he first brought it in, he said, oh, yeah, they put a little bit of Oloroso sherry in it. I'm totally down. You it's a wine Oloroso. You know, that's, that is really, really cool to me because you're getting a piece of something that's, you know, you know vintage after vintage. It's not just this regular replicable you know, flavor that a lot of mass production is like you're actually getting, you know, different, uh, something that ties all the way back to beginning the making of this. And yeah, I'm fascinated by, by places that can give that amount of time, um, to have a true house style. And that, and that's what I really liked about this. It just tasted different. It was whiskey, Mm -hmm. obviously, but it was different. And that's what, that's yeah. what I, and I appreciate you mentioning that because that's what we really hang our hat on with mm-hmm. our Kansas City whiskey mm-hmm. is that I, if, it's hard sometimes for me to describe exactly mm-hmm. how, we, how we make it because it's, it actually has several more steps. Mm-hmm. You know, it actually would have been easier for us to just say, let's, you know, let's, let's do a straight bourbon. Yep. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that would have been easier. Um, but, you know, there are more steps that go into it and then establishing that house style so that as we grow and we expand and we produce more and more and more and those, those blending components, um, they're subject to change. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's imperative that we maintain a consistent flavor throughout, Mm -hmm. even if the components change a little bit, you know, it's kind of like I describe it as like champagne production. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you're, if you're producing a house champagne, like Krug, right, you're a big, well-known, amazing champagne producer and you're in your house non-vintage champagne you know every year that you're using chardonnay and you know you're using pinot noir but you might every year buy those grapes from different vineyards different wine uh different um wineries around the area right and every year the the uh terroir is different the climate's different so you've always got the same pieces but the proportions might change. Sure. But at the end of the day, you don't want the customer to notice. Mm-hmm. You want the flavor to be, oh, yeah, that's Krug. Mm-hmm. And that's how we are with our Kansas City whiskey. We, even if, if some things kind of get tweaked or adjusted behind the scenes, it's, oh, yeah, that's Rieger's Kansas City whiskey. 
Well, kind of like port, like with a 40-year tawny or a 10-year tawny, that it's it's a house style. It's made for that. And, yeah, it's it's delicious. And it's uh, it shows a lot of care. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, um, you know, when you drink a lot, like we do, <laughs> you know, we find the interesting the most important thing And a lot of times. And maybe our customer doesn't, but I think our customer does like things that are interesting if we can tell them why it's different and what makes it cool. And you actually have a designation for Kansas City whiskey, right? So what the way that works is yeah. the, the federal government granted us permission to call it that. Okay. They allowed us to classify it as that on the label. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily going to monitor it. Okay. The, the next step for us, and this is something that I'm working on, and it's one of my kind of big picture goals for the future, is to establish Kansas City whiskey as a designated, uh, defined uh, category by the state of Missouri. Mm-hmm. So once that happens, then it is definitely a legally recognized category mm-hmm. okay. that the, the federal government would then acknowledge and, and, and re- they already do. That's, it's weird. It's backwards, right? Mm-hmm. You would think the state would come first and then federal government second. Mm-hmm. It's the other way around. Federal government already recognized it and now we'll get the state to do it. That'll huh. be the next step. And it's the same process that um, Tennessee whiskey went through. Mm-hmm. Right, in order to define Tennessee whiskey as to what it is. Because initially, the federal government, the TTB, they look, they're looking at the law, and they're like, well, it's just bourbon, but it comes from Tennessee, right? Because it meets all the criteria for bourbon. Um, but there was one tiny little tweak that was different, and once they got the Tennessee state government to acknowledge what Tennessee whiskey is and define it, then the federal government is like, okay, we'll follow suit. So... Um, that's the that's the process for us right now. But we've got the state the, the government has uh, the federal government allowed us to classify it as Kansas City whiskey, uh, being defined as a blend of different straight whiskeys with the addition of no more than two point five percent sherry. And now the next step will, uh, for us would be for the, the state of Missouri to recognize it. Anybody else doing that? Yes. Okay. Well, we've officially had our second. Uh, distillery in Kansas City okay. produced a Kansas City whiskey, and they actually came to us and asked us for advice and some kind of guidelines for it. So, a stupid question because I'm all about stupid questions. <laughs> Do I have to be in Kansas City to have a Kansas City whiskey? Is it the style of the whiskey that I'm making? If we get it approved as a uh, legally defined category by the okay. state of Missouri, it will apply to the state of Missouri. Okay. It would be very, very, very hard for me to, or us, to try and delineate Kansas City or, like, to find where those boundaries are. Okay. Now, the reality is, if you're in St. Louis or, you know, Cape Girardeau or Springfield, you might want to make a Kansas City-style whiskey, which you could, um, but do you want to or not? You know what I mean? Yep. Um, but we would have it defined within the state boundaries, not within the city boundaries. Okay. So we did a gin uh, podcast about a couple months ago. Uh, it's fuzzy. It's, it's all fuzzy. <laughs> and you've got you know London Dry. But yeah. Your style is a mid. What what mid? Our style is a London Dry. Okay. Our gin okay. that we're drinking right okay. now in this Negroni is Which we a actually London. had your gin. In yeah. Our podcast. So it's a London Dry okay. style. Okay. Um, but in America, you are not required to label it as London Dry. Gotcha. You don't have to. There are strict legal uh, requirements for London Dry Gin in the UK. Okay. Um, they're not recognized necessarily by the US. So we could have labeled it whatever we wanted. Okay. 
in fact, if we wanted to label it London Dry, technically we could have, mm-hmm. although that would have raised probably more questions than answers. Sure. <laughs> you know, coming from Kansas City, London Dry Gin, like what is, what sure. is that? What is that? Why right. are you calling it London when you're in Exactly, Kansas, when yeah. you're in KC. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the goal was to make a London Dry style of gin, and, you know, then either way we're going to have to answer questions. Whether it's, um, you know, a London Dry Gin, made in casing and we have to describe it that way or we end up calling it a midwestern dry gin which frankly doesn't mean anything we just had to put something on the yeah. label <laughs> we could have yeah. called it american dry gin if we want but we felt like that was too broad we felt like kansas city was too specific so we just called it a midwestern I dry like gin it. and I then, like the, and then the explanation yeah. is it's a mid it's from the mm-hmm. midwest um, but it is a London dry style. You know, Brian, I'm looking at you too for this, but I think I think that was one of the ones where we rated our gins because we did we did a bunch of weird some weird gins too. We did even yeah. a, like a barrel aged gin that actually um, tasted like Foundry Lowland's Foundry Scotch. Distillery mm-hmm. here in Des Moines. Found real, I know yeah. those guys. Yeah, um, well, and the one I brought back from uh, Oregon too, from yeah. Portland too. Was so there, we did some yeah. barrel aged gins as yeah. well, and I I think we rated them. I, I don't quite, you should listen to the podcast. By yeah, we, we definitely the podcast. did. I think I think Rieger did pretty damn well in the in the uh, ratings mm-hmm. on that. Now watch me say this, and we all hated it. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't think that happened. I hope not. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we tasted some pretty fun like, gins. Like an attorney, that, don't ask a question you don't already know the answer to. <laughs> exactly. Oh, but no, we did yeah. that, which was yeah. which was fun. Yeah, you know, it's uh, going back to what you had said earlier about you know getting involved in cocktails and the idea of you know making something you know from scratch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got to be somewhat gratifying for you. I mean, you're you're literally putting your stamp on on a, the alcohol industry with that. Uh, with Jay Rieger, I mean, this is you know in a lot of respects, it's kind of you that's here in this box. Yeah, know, and and that's I mean, I, yeah. I I try not to take that for granted. Yeah. You know, I, it's really. It is really special. I never would have, uh, you know, expected something like that mm-hmm. or or uh, planned for that. That was not part of the the original mm-hmm. vision, you know. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's just the you know the path that we ended up yeah, on. Right, right. But it is cool, man. I, I mean, it's really cool that we've we have had the uh, ability and the opportunity to to create these mm-hmm. products and do something special and meaningful mm-hmm. that means a lot to Kansas City. I mean, Kansas City has just been so incredibly supportive of mm-hmm. of our brand and like just wildly fanatic about it mm-hmm. and that just means the world to me um and to humbling. see it it is yeah. and then also to see it be embraced in other parts of the country and go into some of the best bars in the world you know mm-hmm. and see it on the menu i mean that's just it's surreal but it's yeah. it's really cool yeah congratulations to that that's <laughs> awesome thanks that's wild yeah, yeah. I don't know you someday down the road, you know, when we're in the like fourth or fifth generation hosts of Boozy Banter podcast, <laughs> we're going to be talking about. Oh, yeah. yeah, I remember back in the you know. Remember back in the day. I mean, they're going to. This here. episode's going to be end up in the Smithsonian Archive. Dude, and it's, and yeah. Well, now yeah. I mean, you got me all nervous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did I say earlier? Yeah. I don't know what I said. Right, right next to you know the Wizard of Oz ruby slippers. So. Well, listen. In the interest of of uh, trying to keep these to like an hour ish, let's wrap this up. I, we still have some stuff to do, but we'll mm-hmm. we'll come back and, uh, and do a little after hours. Okay. And, uh, and I've got other. We've got some other fun questions shots, to ask you. Shots, well. Excellent. Shots, and this shots. is where we'll start doing the shots. Yeah, we got shots yeah. too. We'll do, we're For definitely sure. gonna do some shots, and that's this is where normally. Um, what do you call them? Gentle listeners. This is where my this is where my pants come off. Yeah. I'm just going to tell you right now. So just so you know, so we'll, 
You're handsome. And you're handsome, Ryan. <laughs> so we'll we'll be back shortly, and uh, we'll see you on the radio. Sandra. <laughs>